Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon, and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're in our 29th year here together. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning, where you always determine our agenda by calling 512-836-0590 or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience, download podcasts of previous broadcasts. You may also go to SoundCloud, the free app, and listen there. And this, this coming Thursday, we will rebroadcast after the news at 6 p.m. today's broadcast. It's always a terrific idea to call or text at the beginning of the broadcast. My rules are I always take today's calls first, then today's texts, and then any previous texts that I feel I've been unable to fully answer. I have one text. I have all the lines available, 512-836-0590. Carl, thank you for your thoughtful advice every week. You're welcome. I am 71 years old, retired, not yet subject to required minimum distribution. I have some room for additional income this year without blowing up taxes and Irma, in other words, paying more uh, for, his, for her or his Medicare uh, premiums. What are the pluses and minuses to one, taking some gains from equities in a taxable account versus two, a Roth conversion? Well, they're both nice uh, issues. My personal preference would be do the Roth conversion uh, because uh, I just think the future ability to not have a required minimum distribution is a really big deal. And secondly, the ability to then take the money out of that Roth when you want to and do it tax-free or if you never need it, it can go to your spouse or if you are single, Uh, It can go to your beneficiary, and they'll have 10 years to take it out, also tax-free. That just seems so powerful to me uh, that I would be inclined to do that. Uh, I don't think that we're going to see an increase in the long-term capital gains rate. And uh, if we did, certainly my 45-year experience, capital gains are taxed. The long-term capital gains are taxed at a lower rate than income. So having said that, I think I would take, pay the income tax now and do the Roth and defer the capital gain. But it's a, nice, it's a nice problem to have, and thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. We had some questions uh, last week, and frankly, they're, they're questions that we have all the time because they're so relevant around a federal budget and the federal deficit and spending. And I just did a little work uh, before the broadcast, and I think most of us don't realize this. I think it's very interesting. This is how the federal budget breaks down by expenditures. So Medicare and Medicaid represent 26% of government federal government expenditures, Social Security 21%, defense 14%, and interest on the debt, 10%. I think we can all presume that that interest on the debt is likely to increase 
over time since we spend more than we take in. And of course, in a rising rate environment or a higher rate environment like we have now, as the government borrows additional money, that's going to be more expensive. So it's reasonable to think that that's going to happen. Also, Social Security benefits are subject to a cost of living adjustment. It's a very big one uh, last year. But this uh, year, it'll be for the coming year, uh, I'm trying to remember, between 3 and 4%. So that's going to go up as well. And more and more people are going to qualify for Social Security. So that's going to go up as well. I see we have a call, so I'll go to that. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. John, you're on the air. How, I beg your pardon. Jen, you're on the air. How may I help? Uh, this is John. Okay, John. Uh, you know, uh, rather than make out a will, and, and uh, it's, it's too complicated for me. What, what about the idea? I want to give my money to six children and uh, grandchildren. And what about making six annuities? Well, I would say that uh, that doesn't sound very attractive to me um, because. Uh, when it, if if you give them an annuity, you, what you're doing is you're making them. I'm trying to think this through. Are you talking about giving them the money to buy an annuity, or buying an annuity and making them the beneficiary, John? Buying them an annuity, so there won't be no arguments. Well, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. You have a lifetime gift uh, exclusion, so you don't have to pay any ta- gift taxes on that, and you could then give them the money. You could you could obviously if they're the owners of the annuity then that they have to buy it if you give them the money and tell them that they have to buy an annuity and they say yes and acquiesce then the question becomes what type of annuity because if they're younger than 59 and a half and it's your standard say fixed or variable annuity when they take the money out they're going to pay income tax and a tax penalty on the growth That doesn't sound very attractive to me. If you buy them an immediate annuity where they start getting the income, that's taxable income. But if they're younger, they're not going to get very much because an immediate annuity is a lifetime stream of income. And the younger you are when it it annuitizes, the longer your life expectancy, the lower the current payout. So frankly, it's complicated. Uh, and you've got a lot of people involved, and they're in different tax situations. Uh, so, you know, I'm not I'm not uh, terribly uh, impressed with that idea. I probably would say it's not a very good idea, John. Okay, thanks for the advice. Okay, thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We're coming up on time for me to take a break. It's a great time for you to call or text five one two. Eight three six zero five ninety. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ five ninety AM and ninety nine point seven FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text that just came in. All right, here we go. I am near the $250,000 insurance limit at my bank. What does one do at that point? Thanks for your advice. Here's my experience. 
banks have the ability to, I'll use a strange term for financial business, farm out your money. Uh, that actually happened to me. Uh, I got a call from my banker when uh, Silicon Valley Bank was in the news and ultimately failed. And I had a balance above 250000 And she said, we have the ability to spread this out among other institutions, uh, and we'll keep your balance below 225 and you'll have FDIC insurance at other institutions. This is a very common thing for banks to do, whether they're large, what we used to call money center banks like Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, et cetera, and also smaller community banks and regional banks. So if I were in your shoes, if you are happy with your banking relationship, Rather than go to the hassle of opening a relationship at another bank and then having two checking accounts and all of that stuff, I would talk to a person at the bank about the ability to have them put some of my money at another institution with which they have a a business relationship to get under the $250,000. I think that's what you ought to do. Now, having said that, we live in an unusual period compared to the last 15 years or more of high short-term interest rates. So if you had the comfort to do this, you could also look at putting some of your money in a money market mutual fund. Uh, And the reason I say that is uh, that I think they're safe uh, and they're currently yielding over 5% and you have daily liquidity. There are three types of money market mutual funds. There are what are called treasury funds that only buy U.S. Treasury debt. And then there are government funds that buy U.S. Treasury debt and government-sponsored agency debt, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. And then there are prime money market funds that buy not only the first two things, but also uh, investment-grade corporate short-term debt. I like the middle one, uh, the government one. And you might want to consider that. Now, that would be simple for you to do. All the big uh, broker-dealers, Schwab, uh, Fidelity, Vanguard, et cetera, have money market mutual funds. And you might want to spend some time, just Google those and look at the alternatives because it's not as if you're locking up your money and, at this point, uh, attractive rate of return. Good luck. You're listening to Money... You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Chris, you're on the air. How may I help? Hello, Carl. Hi. Good to talk to you. Thank uh, you. That previous question uh, was right in line with what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. I'm looking at the Wednesday Wall Street Journal, the business and finance section. They have an article on this. Banks load up on $1.2 trillion in risky deposits. Yeah. And they're talking about these brokered CDs and right. these brokered money markets. Right. I'm wondering, uh, you, you answered a lot of my questions in your answer before, uh-huh. but when the Wall Street Journal describes this as risky, uh, yeah. what yeah. do you think about that? Yeah. What I think is what they mean is it's risky to the banks, not to the depositors, because people could pull those assets very quickly. There's a lot of data that indicate that uh, the depositors who are customers of a bank, so let's just say I'll, I'll use a big bank, Bank of America. 
So they must have tens of thousands of customers who have deposits at the bank. There's evidence that they're not very interested in or sensitive to the level of yield or interest that people get on their deposits because there are periods of time, now being one of them, where daily deposit yields are very low and yet the money stays there. What's What this article is talking about is banks that are, for whatever reason, probably because they want to meet certain regulatory requirements, are beefing up on deposits. And the way they get those deposits is they go to Fidelity or Schwab or UBS or Merrill Lynch or whatever, and they they make a deal with them and they offer certificates of deposit and the customers of those, inst- those financial institutions can call their financial advisor or on, do it on their own at, say, Schwab, and purchase CDs from banks around the country. And as long as they stay under the $250,000 limit, they're FDIC insured. But what the concern is, is those are, those are if you will, not I want to say hot money, but the people who have that could very easily change their minds. They, they could they could liquidate the CD in the secondary market. So that kind of thing creates risk for the bank, not risk for the depositor. And I think that's what they're really, really talking about, Chris. Well, you know, right now, uh, I have two funds. One I've had for 10 years. I don't touch it. Yeah. I have another fund that I opened a few years ago, and I don't touch it. Yeah. But I've got money sitting on the sidelines, and I'm getting ready to add to the second fund, mm-hmm. but with the economy the way it is right now, it you, you hear so much from so many different people. You read so much, <laughs> that's for sure. And I think we're running. We're coming into a, a year that uh, it's it's going to be even crazier than it has been before. And I'm talking about everything: society, uh, financial, Polit- yeah, politics, <laughs> politics. Uh, but I. I think that uh, once I add to this second fund again, I'm going to hold on to some things on the sideline and just sure. watch. Sure. Uh, because I simply don't know what's going to happen, and I don't want to be caught short in anything. I'm not yeah. having to withdraw from these funds. Yeah. But the the interest rate is too good on yeah. some of these uh, brokered CDs and yeah. brokered money markets. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that is a wise policy to pursue? I think... Um, it's a portfolio strategy question. Uh, I've had no luck. Uh, in fact, I gave up a long time ago uh, looking at the economy and trying to draw conclusions about the direction of the financial markets. I got beat up in the early 80s because everybody said oil was going from 10 to 40, and the most popular major UT Austin was petroleum engineer, and Houston was booming, and it turned around went back to 10. You could shoot a cannon through Houston, and I was right. told you could, I couldn't lose money in Austin real estate, and I lost money in Austin real estate. So I've, I've been beat up enough that I don't make investment and decisions and portfolio decisions with the kind of thinking that you've articulated. Now, if you feel like you're 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 adequately invested and this is extra cash and you're willing to be tactical, that is to be opportunistic, then does, does that make sense? I think the answer is yes. 
I think I would not put it in a CD because I don't think the extra pickup and yield justifies the loss of liquidity. I put it in a, like I was talking about a moment ago when you were waiting on the phone, I think I'd put it in a government money market fund and get over 5% and have complete liquidity. So if it comes to pass that there is a sell-off in 2024, You've got the ability to be opportunistic. So I don't think the extra pickup justifies it. I'd be in, So I'd be in a money market fund if I were in your shoes, if I had your view and your plan. All right. That's good advice. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> okay. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ, 512 here comes another text. Let's see here. The S&P 500 market cap is weighted so heavily for technology stocks. Do you feel this index is still diversified? No, it's not diversified. Uh, and I've seen this happen before when it was energy stocks. Uh, and I've seen it happen before when it was technology stocks uh, at the end of a five-year bull market from 1995 to 1999. Uh, I read today that the seven largest market cap stocks, which would be names like Amazon and Tesla and Microsoft and Apple and Meta, which is Facebook, uh, and Alphabet, which is Google, Google, they represent 28% of the market capitalization of the S&P 500. So is it diversified? No. But what do we do about it? Uh, because... Uh, if you're going to be a passive investor uh, and you're going to own an index, uh, which one are you going to own? You can you can own a total stock market index, which frankly is what I do. You, you give up a little return this year. I'm looking at uh, two exchange traded funds, so I'm not making a recommendation. Uh, one is SPY, the the Spider S&P 500 year to date 17.23%. And the Vanguard total stock market, FTI, 16.52%. So there's a little more diversification in the VTI. Uh, the other way you can do it is if you're a passive investor is you can pick other indexes if you want to do that also. Uh, so you can pick something like the Russell 2000, which is a small cap index. Or if you're worried about the overweighting in growth stocks, which are those technology stocks, you can also buy the Russell 1000 value. So there are lots of ways to go if you're a passive investor. On the other hand, if you like active management, uh, I like them both. But I, but what I tend to do is, is stay with the market cap weighted index, uh, like uh, the SPY or the VOO or the VTI. Again, no recommendations. And then putting, so it's called kind of a core and satellite. So that's the bulk of the money. And then I pick active management to go around that. And as, if you're a regular listener, you've heard me say this. What I've learned, what I've observed and learned through trial and error, my two best teachers, is that there are active managers that tend to outperform in bull markets by going up more than the index, and there are active managers that tend to outperform in bear markets by going down less than the index. So I think you have to decide kind of philosophically where you fit on that. I, I've, I've, I've learned that it's that the key is not losing a lot of money. So when I add when I add active managers, I do both, but I tend to focus more on the ones that tend to do better than their particular type of index or benchmark in bad markets. So is it diversified? No. 
Is there something you should do about it? I would say not necessarily, but if you want to add some active management that doesn't look like the index and be prepared for that kind of performance. You're listening to Money Talk. It's time for me to take a break. It's a great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. Stick around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon for another 26 minutes. If you're thinking of calling or texting, now's a great time to do so at 512. 512- 8360590 you may listen online at newsradioklbj.com go there at your convenience download podcasts of the last several years of money talk as well as you can go to the free app soundcloud and this thursday after the news at 6 p.m. we will rebroadcast today's show 5128360590 hank you're on the air how may i help yeah, thanks for taking my call, Carl. Oh, I'm uh, 73, and I've been uh, participating in a uh, DRIP uh, dividend reinvestment mm-hmm. plan for uh-huh. probably 35 years. Great. Uh, and it's with Sempra. Uh, uh-huh. That's a outfit out of California, Southern California. It's mm-hmm. in the energy uh, mm-hmm. infrastructure business. Okay. They own 80% of Encore, as I understand it. Okay. But my question is, uh, it seems that at least SEMPRA's uh, DRIP program, it corresponds to a uh, conglomerate that deals in DRIPs. In this case, it's AST and turning to EQ from the, you know, their logo. Um, but in looking at it, uh, by the way, SEMPRA just you know, split two for one. Uh-huh. And uh, in looking at the AST now EQ program, uh, now that I'm 73 and I'm looking toward, you know, the, the twilight years, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at, it seems to me that, you know, there's a, a penalty or whatever from the standpoint or a cost of fee for uh, trying to take that, those stocks, those that ownership, and converting it to a book status, and taking it out of the uh, drip program, and putting it in, you know, the market from the standpoint or my, you know, investment account, be it Schwab or sure. or Jones, sure. or whatever. Right. Um, so, you know, what's your uh, thought on that? Well, and, I mean, you know, it, should I be looking to? I mean, it seems to me if you decided that. You don't want to do the dividend reinvestment plan because of your age. Then you go to your current custodian, let's just say at Schwab, if you have an account there, and you give them a copy of your recent statement from whoever handles the SEMPRA dividend reinvestment plan, and they can, with your approval, they can go get that stock with the reinvested dividends and transfer it into your own taxable investment account. There's no reason to not do that if you've decided that you don't want to do the drip any longer. 
There's nothing wrong with continuing the dividend reinvestment plan, in my opinion. You've been doing it for so long, and there's no question that you've really built up a lot of, a lot of value there. But if you decide you want to change, it's really an operational thing, Hank, and you can deal do that because I've seen that occur with other broker-dealers. They, they encounter this all the time. You just have to show them the statement that you have from your DRIP program so they can have you sign a form requesting that that be transferred to your account at Schwab or, or Fidelity or wherever. So being that you're in the DRIP program with, you know, yes. whoever the manager yes. is there, to converting it to uh, yeah, yeah. custodial ship, I yeah. guess, then... You yeah. pay a fee for that. I I, I don't yeah. know why I don't know why you'd pay a fee for that. The, 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 because the people that handle the dividend reinvestment that's just a service. They're not a they're nothing more or less than that, and it's a service that Sempra uses because they they're in, they're not in the securities business, right? And so you, you all you got to do is do what I said. There shouldn't be any fee for that whatsoever, based on my experience. And and you know, there's no tax consequences because you haven't sold anything. You're just moving you're moving the location, if you will, uh, while it's electronic from the dividend reinvestment provider over to your own account, your own taxable account. It's a non-taxable event unless you sell shares. Great. Okay. I'll do that. Thank okay. you, sir. You're very welcome. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here is a text. Carl, where or how can an ordinary person get into one of the government money market funds you were just mentioning? Uh, you go to a sponsor, um, some broker-dealer. Uh, if you don't have an, a financial advisor uh, or a relationship with a broker-dealer, uh, a lot of the big fund companies and, and custodians offer this. You, you can go to Vanguard.com. Uh, you can go to Fidelity.com. Uh, you can go to Schwab.com and look at their range of money market funds. Uh, and you can even go to various mutual fund companies like Federated's one that does a lot of money market fund business. And the, you just go there and look at it, look what the minimums are, look at the various money market funds categories that they represent, and then you would open an account at one of those, and that's how you could do that. So good luck. You're listening to Money, you're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Bill, you're on the air. How may I help? Yeah, hi, Carl. Hi. I've been reading a few things about the Fed launching a long-awaited instant payment system called yeah. FedNow. Yes. And it, lo it looks like it does some of the same sorts of things that debit cards, credit cards, uh, PayPal, Venmo, that sort of thing does. But mm -hmm. at a much lower fee. Yes. What do you know about that? I've just read a little bit about it, like you have. Um, I think it's an attempt to, to accomplish exactly what you're talking about. It's an attempt to get, if you will, to democratize the process so that people can get can get electronic payments 
without having to pay any fees. Uh, and it obviously doesn't exist uh, in any broad way or you and I would be able to use it. But uh, because it's a program of the Federal Reserve, uh, I think it's a terrific idea. Uh, it's just in its infancy right now. So I can all say, I, what I can say to you is I'll keep reading and, and watching, and so will you. Uh, it would be a wonderful innovation. I think it's a great idea. We just have to wait and see if it comes to fruition. One of the articles I saw said that J.P. Morgan Chase, Mellon Bank in New, uh, New York, U.S. Yeah. Bank Corp., and a other, uh, number of other things that are already participating in it. Well, that's terrific. I, I have not seen how you do that. I, I, I haven't had any encounters with how you participate. They may be participating at the bank level with their customers, but how you and I access access that, I do not know. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512 512- Eight three six zero five ninety. Let's see. Here's a text, Carl. I know that bank deposits are insured by the FDIC. What about credit union deposits, and what's the limit? Uh, there is an analog. There's an analog to the FDIC that credit unions have, uh, and the uh, maximum coverage is the same as it is at a commercial bank at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I've never really looked into it deeply, uh, but I would guess, I mean, I think this is a reasonable guess, that it works under the same concept, which is that participants pay into uh, pay into it just like banks pay into the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So if a credit union were to fail, then there would be a pool of capital to to basically make sure that all the insured depositors at the credit union would be taken care of. So you could always ask your credit union for more information because they should have some kind of brochure that describes their deposit insurance, but they do have that. You're listening to Money Talk. It's time for me to take a break. Time for you to call. We're down to our last quarter hour. Call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadio KLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We've had a good broadcast this afternoon. Thank you for participating. We have all of our lines available at 512-836-0590. And, of course, we have texts as well, 512-836-0590. Here is a text. Hello, Mr. Stewart. Thank you for your show. Do you take new clients by appointment? And if so, how would you go about setting that up? Okay. So regular listeners know that I don't talk about my investment advisory practice. I am going to answer your question. I'm probably the only person in America who doesn't have a website. But if you will just Google me, my name is Carl Stewart, and that's spelled S-T-U-A-R-T. You can find me, and all you have to do is call the office and make an appointment. Okay, thank you for your text. 512-836-0590. I started to talk about this earlier in the broadcast. Because we have this, I think, important question regularly about what are we going to do about the federal budget deficit, which happens every year, which adds to the federal debt. 
And one of the things that I think we have to realize is how hard it's going to be to really deal with this based on how we spend our money. And if you look at the latest data on what's called the federal finances, we spend 26% of the budget on Medicare and Medicaid. We spend 21% on Social Security. We spend 14% on defense and 10% on interest. Non-defense discretionary, 15%. I just have to wonder if that doesn't include the uh, agricultural department, which also includes uh, food stamps. And then the 15, 13% for other. So it's not as if you go to Washington, the, the favorite phrase we're going to reduce, uh, what is it? Waste, fraud, and abuse. Well, good luck with that. And if you look at Medicare and you look at Social Security, and the aging of America, those are not going to go down. Those numbers are going to go up. So I just thought that was really, really helpful uh, when we have this question. We have to realize that uh, if we don't uh, either reduce benefits or raise taxes, I don't know how you're going to bring that together. I mean, if you live beyond your means and borrow a MasterCard and Visa, at some point, they're not going to loan you more money. We haven't gotten to that point by, by any stretch of the imagination. So I did some work on correlation for those of you, again, who regularly listen. I can probably hear your eyeballs rolling. But this, I think, really goes to the basics of, of portfolio construction, of whether it's in your 401K or your own taxable account or your IRA or Roth IRA or whatever. And one of my pet subjects is the distinction between correlation and diversification. Diversification are three are different types of assets. So you could say, what about uh, I own uh, real estate investment trusts, and I own uh, stocks, and I own high yield bonds, uh, and I own foreign stocks, and I'm diversified. The answer is yes. But the idea behind correlation is if you have two asset classes that are exactly correlated, meaning they go in the same direction and in the same amount of percentage up or down at the same time, they're perfectly correlated, then there's nothing I've ever encountered that's that. So the closer to 1.0 that you're comparing two asset classes, the more closely they're correlated. So what I took a look at was those were the most recent correlation data for large, compared to large company stocks, which I would say is uh, the standard of poor 500. And I look at that and compare it to Europe to to what's called EFI, which is Europe, Australasia, and the Far East, so the international market. The correlation is quite high, 0.88. But to bonds, and again, these are now corporate bonds. These are not high yield bonds. These are other bonds. So one is, one is, one assumes investment grade. Correlation is quite low, 0.26. Did not work worth a darn last year. But you can understand from that. Why, for so many years, the classic balanced portfolio was 60% stocks and 40% bonds. Well, we got into a situation because interest rates were so low for so long, people were looking for ways to get additional yield. And they stretched for yield by getting into high-yield bonds. Well, guess what? The correlation to high, from high-yield bonds to, the, to large-cap stocks, 0.87 in to foreign stock 0.88. So if you have bonds and they're high yield bonds and you think that you're getting some form of non-correlated asset, you'd be sadly mistaken. Now, 
As long as interest rates are declining, frankly, you won't know that. But when you get a period of rising rates like last year, guess what? The correlation really, really matters. Two, two, three other ones I took a look at. Real estate investment trusts. Because there's no question if you own a real estate investment trust that you are that's different than the normal common stock of an operating company or it's a bond. A real estate investment trust may own hotels or shopping centers or multifamily operations or uh, golf courses. Uh, but the fact is that the correlation between real estate investment trusts and large cap stocks is 0.76 which is pretty darn high. Now, there were two that were low. One was gold, which has a 0.11. So I would tell you that means it's hardly correlated at all. And the other with currencies, which had a negative correlation of a minus 0.46. That's interesting, but for the average investor and certainly for the average do-it-yourself investor, trying to somehow access the currency markets is frankly, I think, uh, somewhere between hard to do and impossible, uh, you may be able to find some kind of ETF or, or mutual fund that does that. But um, that I think that's why you can make the case if you really want some non-correlation, you do have to look at investment-grade bonds and you do have to look at gold as well. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We've got about six minutes left of me bloviating, or you can call or text. 512-836-0590. Another thing, I did a lot of kind of data diving today. Uh, I was looking at how various aspects of the stock market are doing on a year-to-date basis. And this kind of ties into the earlier question we received on a text about the S&P 500 really not being diversified. So I found this grid where it looked at how large cap growth stocks have done year to date versus large cap value and how small cap growth stocks have done year to date versus small cap value. And it's really stunning. Uh, the most recent data I could find was that large cap growth stocks were 32.2%. And if you look at the uh, Fidelity O-N-E-Q, as a, a, which is an, an ETF following the NASDAQ, it sits right on top of that 32.26% large cap growth. Then you look at the large cap value, 5.9%. Just think of that. The large cap growth, 32.2% year to date, large cap value, 5.9%. What do you make of that? Well, I think it depends. <laughs> If you are what is called a momentum investor and you are an active investor, I'm kind of digging in the weeds here for, for you, you may want to stay with that large growth because you clearly have the wind at your back. But if you are a contrarian investor and you think that the time to buy things is when they're out of favor, then you would have to say, gosh, if large cap value is up less than 6% on a year-to-date basis and large growth is up over 32%, where do I think I would find the better value? Where are the better bargains? doesn't always happen this way. And in this case, it's also true for small cap stocks. The numbers are quite a bit lower, but small cap growth year-to-date up 12.7% and small cap value up 4.9%. So we really have this tilted market, uh, and 
if you are, again, if you pay attention to your investments, and I know a number of listeners do, and you're thinking about building that portfolio, if you want to lean into the wind, then you need to be looking at value. And if you want to have the wind at your back, you need to be looking at growth. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Boy, it's a good thing I did my homework because I got more things to bloviate about. I also, this was interesting, looking at our economy. These are the these are what's called the composition of gross domestic product. How where where our gross domestic product, the output of goods and services. Our consumption, what we spend money on, 68.3% of gross domestic product. So that's where recessions happen when we stop, when we reduce our spending. We reduce our spending because interest rates rise and we have more interest expense to pay or because we don't work as many hours or we get laid off. Then that's where it really hits the economy. Government spending, not to uh, uh, diminish that, 17.5%. Obviously a huge number, but tying that back into what I said earlier, we have a lot of things like defense and Medicare and things like that that really add up. Investment, excluding housing, 13.4%, and our housing investments, 3.8%. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Okay, here's a question. I inherited $100,000. What do I do? Send it to Money Talk. At, oh, never mind. Um, first thing you do is you look at your balance sheet, your, your assets, and your liabilities to determine if you have any high-cost liabilities. For example, credit card debt. If you're paying 15 17 18% on credit card debt, there's no investment you can make to equal those returns. So part of the money could go to pay down that. Uh, if you have other liabilities, you have kids and you haven't put money aside for their potential college education, that would be another place to consider putting the money. Now, let's suppose that you are, other than your mortgage, you're debt-free, so you don't have any high-cost debt. Let's assume that your kids are grown or you've saved for their college. Then what do you do? Money has characteristics. It depends on how long you have to let go of this money. I hope it's a long time because you inherited this. It wasn't hopefully something you were planning on so you could go spend it. Then you're an investor. You're not a speculator, and you're also not a saver because savers are interested in their nominal return, and they're interested in the principal staying flat. Those are people that keep money in the bank, money market funds, CDs. But if you want this money to grow faster than the rate of inflation, then you're an investor. And that means you're going to have to invest in financial assets, primarily stocks and secondarily bonds, and to build a portfolio that balances those two things. Now, if you want to grow the money, you'll have to have money at risk. Remember, there's an absolute relationship between risk and return. You know, I wish you had asked me this question earlier because now it's 59 minutes after the hour and I got to go. So I'm going to remember this. And when it comes to bloviation time next week, I'll pick this back up. 
I want to thank Garrett for doing his usual terrific job. I want to thank you for listening and to remind you, as I do every Saturday, that next Saturday, after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 